0: This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, welcome to Mesoamerica Mist, but in space.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review and critique show. We're putting the humanities back into science fiction. My name is Gepwin and I'm joined as always by a friend and co-host, Dr. Izix. Hi! This is it. This is one, the penultimate episode of the animated series. So we're in the home stretch here. Mm-hmm. Get them there. Also, the best episode of either original or animated series because it is dun. the only one to have ever won an Emmy.
0: Hooray! So, uh, so 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 uh, Hugo Awards don't count, right?
1: No, this is okay, TV so- awards. TV awards. Okay, good.
0: <laughs> Award-winning episode of Star Trek, the animated series. Something about serpents and teeth, right?
1: Yep. This is How Sharper Than a Serpent's Tooth. Of course, from the Shakespeare quote. Um, let's see. I cannot remember which it's from. King Lear, apparently. There we go.
0: No, I've never read Cl- King Lear. I should probably f- fix that at some point.
1: How Sharper Than a Serpent's Tooth It Is to Have a Thankless Child.
0: Isn't that like most of the plot, though? Yeah. Sounds like something a
1: dad would say.
0: (laughs) My kids suck and everyone's terrible. Ah.
1: My kid doesn't appreciate me and it hurts me. Like snakes. It hurts me like snakes. I'm
0: gonna go kick it up now. (laughs) They're like biting the hand that feeds, except they're snakes, too.
1: Yeah, which they do that. They're snakes.
0: (laughs) They're hungry. Anyway...
1: (laughs) This episode was written by Russell Bates, who was mentored by Gene L. Kuhn. He started writing when he was in the hospital with an injury during his time with the Air Force. He is one of the few Native American writers to write for Star Trek. He wrote in a Native American crew member for this episode, as well as the episode including a lot of themes from Native American cultures.
0: It's all kind of tying together a bit here. Yes. Unfortunately, he doesn't have too many other uh, credits other than this. No, he did have
1: one the um, something of the jungle. I forgot to write it down because its original name was in... It was like translated from Spanish, I think. The original was a weird Spanish movie about gorillas. Freddy of the Jungle. It's supposed to be like a weird sort of Tarzan parody, but told from the woman's point of view. Couldn't find much information about it otherwise.
0: Uh, apparently in Freddy of the Jungle he played Chief Follows Nose. Okay then. <laughs>
1: Glad so, um, we got our Sam. Good old racist stuff in there somewhere. Moving on. <laughs> Toucan Sam and Redface. Oof. <laughs> anyway, um also written, co written by David Wise, who um apparently Went to writer's workshop things, was taught how to write science fiction by just the greats of the time, apparently, according to everything I've read. I'm unclear how mentored they were, but anyway. uh, So
0: like uh, 13 clones of Isaac Asimov?
1: Yes. Or more specifically, Ursula K. Le Guin, Frank Herbert, Harlan Ellison, that kind of people.
0: (laughs) They have a a whole number of... uh... Uh, credits to their uh, their writing credits there including episodes of like speed racer batman the animated series wait he wrote the clock king neat yeah
1: went uh let's see buck rogers wonder woman he-man teenage mutant ninja turtles transformers my personal favorites uh chippendale's rescue rangers oh, yeah. and the mighty ducks cartoon show I that was a thing. <laughs> it was so well, okay. So I was just looking this up again. So you have the Mighty Ducks, which everyone remembers is the the super successful sports movie for kids, the hockey movie for children about the misfit group of children that that play hockey and, and are able to pull together to win the hockey game. And they're like, how do we make a TV spin-off to capitalize on the success of our very successful child sports movie? <laughs> So what we're going to do is make a cartoon about hockey playing alien ducks that come to Earth to play hockey and defend Earth from the evil aliens that are coming to invade to steal their magic hockey gear.
0: Yep. Because that, that's uh, totally uh, the connection that is being made with, from that, uh, you know, fully live action hockey movie there.
1: <laughs> yeah. So they took hockey. And the word ducks and turned it into science fiction cartoon show. Yes.
0: yes. <laughs> well, I guess it worked for Street Sharks. It did.
1: The <laughs> only thing is this, this is also Disney. So it's another duck cartoon from Disney. But these ducks are just aliens. They have nothing to do with their other canonical Disney duck shows. Yes. Because <laughs> this was on like... I think if it, I forget if it was at the same time or soon after the original DuckTales and Darkwing Duck.
0: Yeah, it was uh, mid nineties, uh, I believe, for the Mighty Ducks animated series. There.
1: Yeah, so I think I'm, I'm, forgetting when Darkwing Duck ended. So it was either around the same time or right after.
0: So every everything's turning up quackers. mm Hmm.
1: I just I cannot <laughs> express. Just just like also this was one of my favorite cartoons as a kid for some Thanks. reason because <laughs> I hate sports I've never in my life played or even observed hockey but for some reason I just loved this show.
0: Well maybe real life hockey needs to be more like the uh, the, the show there mm-hmm and then you'd be, you'd be all about it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is just complete aside maybe we'll do the like made for tv movie of this sometime <laughs> but some, one of the running jokes is one of the ducks who is huge one of the they're like big bulky bruiser guy is a zen master so every <laughs> nice. now and then he'll just put out like a weird zen adjacent one-liner before he beats up someone <laughs> Like I remember he skates up next to somebody in a hockey game and says you are one with the wall and then smacks him into the side.
0: No, if I was a bit more into Zen things, I'd be all about that.
1: <laughs> anyway, um how sharper than a serpent's tooth.
0: Yes. So uh do we have any uh, uh guest voices this week?
1: Um not that I could find.
0: Nope. Just uh that's everyone. all I can find as well. James Nobody. Doohan.
1: James Doohan. <laughs> think he might actually also make cat noises in this one.
0: Nice. <laughs> Somebody's got to do it. You know, Majel Bear mm. can't do it all, so.
1: Okay, so. How sharper than a serpent's tooth? Not the mighty ducks. Yes. <laughs> the feathers. There are feathers. Yes. And aliens. Aliens. <laughs> Winged aliens.
0: Lots of flapping.
1: So the Enterprise is tracking. A mysterious probe that approached the Federation out of unknown space, scanned Earth's system, transmitted some sort of data back the way it came, and self-destructed before anyone could get to it.
0: So already I really kind of like this setup here, because it's like, okay, so somebody's coming to look at it, so we should maybe go check this out. This seems like this is, you know, something that we should be investigating right now, as opposed to, well, it's been 20 years since we've looked at this planet. We're going to go wander by and find out that everything's horrible.
1: Yeah, it is like they are actually investigating something in this one. They're being driven. It's not just we're on a routine survey mission, and oh no, snake gods! Yes. <laughs> Today the ship is piloted by new crew member Mr.
0: Walking Bear. Hey, Mr. Walking Bear, how are you doing?
1: Who's replacing Sulu for this episode? Apparently, you're only allowed to have one minority on the bridge at a time.
0: Oh, that's two if you count Uhura.
1: That's two. Uhura uh, is here. <laughs> So the trail is growing a bit faint when a strange ship, unlike anything they've ever seen, appeared. It's surrounded by a large energy field that makes it difficult to see, but it seems to be made from some sort of advanced crystalline ceramics.
0: Which is actually kind of fitting, because uh, ceramics were uh, kind of a big thing in the Mesoamerican eras.
1: I know, this one I actually like, which we'll get to, but like... The ceramic ship, I feel, is one of the only things that makes sense. I really like some of the details they have in this episode.
0: Alternatively, I could have referenced the space shuttle.
1: (laughs) That's true. Was made of super advanced ceramics?
0: Yes. (laughs) It's like, yeah, we're going to create a material that just deals with all the heat and everything's fine. Excellent.
1: So as they approach, the Enterprise suddenly loses speed as if they smacked into a wall in space, which they did because the ship is now trapped in a solid but flexible force field, which is why they didn't smack into it at warp speed and die instantly.
0: Yeah, it's uh, basically they got bubbled, or uh, in DD terms, uh, you know, someone uh, threw a beat of force at them.
1: So the alien ship approaches them, hits them with some sort of indeterminate beam scanner
0: weapon something it is the beam of annoyance
1: yeah um and they try to fire back but their phasers can't get through the force field doodah the alien ship's energy field changes and turns into what appears to be a giant winged serpent unlike anything anyone has ever seen except for walking bear who sees it and immediately goes hey that's coco Oh cool
0: uh um uh, the rest of the people here uh don't know what that is. Could you fill us in a little bit,
1: please? Well, first, that's apparently the right answer cuz Cuckoo Khan immediately answers and goes like, "Hey, I thought you'd all forgotten me."
0: Hey, what's up? Uh, you're, we're going to get informed here, but um, you know, good pr- pr- you know, bravo for uh, not, you know, being ignorant fools that I have to kill here. So, good good job on you guys.
1: I mean, mostly it's more like, "You have forsaken me and forgotten me, puny mortals, you all deserve to die, but because one of you remembers, you get one chance to live."
0: Um, hooray!
1: <laughs> and because apparently they can't just trust the guy who they just said is right, Spot gets into the computer and confirms that Kukulkan was a winged serpent god from ancient Mayan and Aztec legends who came from the sky bearing knowledge.
0: Cool. Uh, it's a good thing that Wikipedia is still a thing in the future, I guess.
1: Yeah. Though, without much prelude here, Uh, McCoy, Scotty, Walking Bear, and Kirk disappear.
0: Zap. These specific crew members are now, uh, elsewhere.
1: Also, I get Walking Bear. I get Kirk, because, like, they always bring Kirk. What does Scotty and McCoy have to do with it?
0: So, at the time, Scotty was just being himself, aka the most competent member of the crew. Thus, he was essentially, you know, needed to be taken as well. McCoy was, uh, in the process of, like, dealing with someone who got you know, slightly scuffed up during the whole we're now being stalked by a giant force field sort of bubble thing, uh, and he's just kind of being ordinary. so maybe Khan is like, alright, this person's, like, chewing somebody out, so he might be in port. I'm gonna grab him too.
1: <laughs> so they're all transported to a large, empty, blue room.
0: Well, uh, I hope we're not trapped here forever, because this is gonna get, you know, quite depressing.
1: Yeah, void space.
0: <laughs> also, it's blue. You know, blue, depressed, sadness, <laughs> all that. Yes.
1: Then Coco-Con says that he's going to show them the seeds that he has shown Earth before, and they need to find their purpose. He transforms the room into a giant Mesoamerican city with a large central pyramid.
0: Wait, well, is this a holodeck? Probably. Okay.
1: <laughs> the city combines a mixture of cultures, from Egyptian obelisks to Chinese gateways that they don't recognize. Yes. they like pointed so, a definitely Chinese gateway with a dragon on top and go I don't know what that is this looks Egyptian though
0: yeah so uh yeah ancient Egypt we totally get uh you know even like more much more recent uh China East Asia not so much apparently so, Walking Bear remembers
1: that before Koko Khan left, the Maya were given an incredibly accurate calendar and instructed to lay out a city in accordance with the calendar's yearly cycles. And on the day when it was finished, Koko Khan would return, but they finished the city and he never did. Because Koko Khan's a flake.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, they, they built your city here. Uh, are you going to drop by again or are you just going to send a probe after a number of centuries?
1: Yeah, probably that. also like i know this isn't important at all because they certainly don't pronounce this right in this episode Uh, i'm pretty sure coco has a gut stop in it somewhere because most ancient mesoamerican languages had some version of that but that's not a thing in modern english or european languages so i have no idea how one is supposed to pronounce this correctly and i couldn't do it if i did
0: uh, we could always go with, you know, Kukulkan is uh, sort of the Yucatan-era uh, era region uh, pronunci- uh, pronunci- uh, name for the god. We could always co- uh, try for the uh, uh, Kichim, uh, Maya uh, pronunciation. ku uh, k- That's
1: kind of fun. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm probably mispronouncing that horribly, but that's the best I could do.
1: <laughs> so Kirk theorizes that Kukulkan visited lots of Earth cultures and gave them each some of the knowledge and hoped that they would fulfill his expectations of whatever they were pro- trying to do. And the city itself is probably some sort of giant key. Probably a signaling device that was supposed to call him back, but they never completed it correctly. So Kirk climbs up to the pyramid to get a better view while the crew explore around all of the edges.
0: So uh, Basically, it's sort of like a sort of a twist on ancient aliens sort of stuff, but... Sh- Instead of us being fully enlightened and, you know, we kind of just half-ass everything.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's ancient aliens that the aliens didn't do their job very well. <laughs> so-, <laughs> so at the top of the pyramid, Kirk finds an inlaid table with a winged serpent design. On the ground, Scotty and Walking Bear find several snake-headed pillars that rotate. Kirk has them all rotate the serpents to face the top of the pyramid in what probably inspired a lot of Legend of Zelda dungeon puzzles because the snake heads reflect the sun to the top of the pyramid and focus in on the table.
0: And uh, I could definitely hear in my head the da-da-da-da <laughs> sound <laughs> from, from various Zelda games.
1: Yeah. This is like every version of the Shadow Temple.
0: <laughs>
1: or <a> Spirit Temple. <laughs> I
0: have to align the lights so that the thing activates and you can see the, the light of the darkness and stuff like that. Ah. See, the
1: problem is the ancient Maya never found the mirror shield.
0: Yeah, it just made things so much easier. So all
1: of the lights combine in Captain Planet.
0: No, there's only four of them. Wait, hard as the friends we made along the way. Okay, there we go. Yeah, there
1: you go. So the entire city is an amplifying signal device, and Cocoa Khan is pleased that they have figured out that they needed to turn the serpent heads, which, like, no one did this? Or is it just because they only had gold and hadn't invented bronze and so couldn't have good mirrors?
0: Probably. Well, we'll go with that.
1: <laughs> I suppose you could make a pretty good mirror out of highly polished gold because they were very accomplished goldsmiths in Mesoamerica. But they didn't discover bronze in in uh, the Americas. They did have copper working. Uh, no one had silver mirrors at this point in history. But anyway, they never figured out that they should turn the serpent heads.
0: Yeah. So, uh, I, you know, I guess you know maybe they also put them in the wrong place, and thus maybe they really did try to turn them. Didn't work or something like that, or they didn't have the special doohickey to transmit uh, tra- transmit uh, light into some sort of super subspace signal to deep space to contact you know the, the Mr. Serpent guy here or what? I don't know.
1: So, Kokan Khan decides that he's going to appear before them, and is a large blue serpent with big
0: red rings. So uh, I, I have to say that this design is a mix of awesome and very silly. Yeah, and and I'm I'm so here for it. <laughs> he.
1: He likes that they figured out their thing, but he's still upset that they tried to shoot him.
0: Okay, so you tried to murder me, um, so what's up?
1: And he's also upset that they've forgotten about him, and now it's his job to educate them all because they've forgotten about his teachings and all that. So he transports them to his laboratory.
0: Some sort of secret layer laboratory of experimentation? Are they going to be dissected?
1: This is a big zoo room, basically. Oh, it's filled kind with of uh, strange... Creatures in glass jars, including something called a Capella Power Cat, which is apparently a cross between a tiger and an electric eel.
0: It's big, fluffy kitty wolf thing with spines,
1: and it's impossible to keep in captivity, except for yet- Con got a young one, because it teaches young things like humans were all young and children when he found us. Ha ha!
0: But now the uh, the big uh, sleepy kitty's nice too.
1: But also, apparently, all these creatures are. Just kept in docility by having a vision of their native habitat beamed into their brains, so they don't actually know they're in captivity because they're in itty tiny tubes.
0: So I have to question what what's the point of this? Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) He just likes to keep pets, and he doesn't have a lot of space. It's like anyone who lives in a small apartment can can figure this out. Like you know, you have to keep your hamster in a tiny tube, and beam visions of a hamster habitat into its brain.
0: (laughs) The the endless expanses of the uh, the hamster world is now in its its brain directly.
1: It's a very, very uh, convenient space-saving way to keep pets.
0: Yes. It's the wave of the future, man.
1: So coco Khan apparently came from a race that destroyed itself millennia ago. And he fears that other races will do this as well.
0: I guess your heart's in the right place there.
1: So what he did was visit Ancient Earth try to teach them the ways of peace and keep them off of the road to war and self-destruction. Um, he expected Whoops. to return when summoned, but, you know, that didn't happen. So his dream of teaching peace to the masses is dead, and it's all your fault, Kirk.
0: Kirk, specifically, yes.
1: Yeah. Meanwhile, on the bridge, Spock has had an epiphany, or an epiphany even, that if you push and pull on the force bubble thingy at the same time it can only respond to one or the other therefore it will break so he uses the tractor beam to pull on the force bubble at the same time as blasting the ship through it and it breaks
0: but they also have to go to warp at the right time in order to pop it it's it's all sort of an operation and they end up like we're gonna end up light years away so uh, be prepared for that guys
1: so gilkhan is furious that the enterprise escaped and he's not just going to destroy the ship and get it over with Kirks decides that they should let out the super dangerous electric cat thing as a distraction to give the Enterprise time to get in close and fire on the ship.
0: Hopefully the super dangerous cat thing doesn't just murder us and stuff. That would be an inconvenient.
1: So this works, and the Enterprise shoots Khan's ship, which apparently disables the thingy that he was using to control the animals.
0: Hmm, that's kind of awkward.
1: So now, Khan can no longer control the animals, and the Power Cat is attacking him.
0: Oh no! Our our our, our uh, floaty boy is in trouble.
1: So Kirk takes a tranquilizer hypo spray from McCoy's med kit and stabs the cat and gets buzzed.
0: You know, apparently there's thousands of volts just kind of coursing through this critter here, and well, he just made close contact with that.
1: But he does succeed in both calming it down and not being hurt.
0: Yeah, now it should be pointed out the uh, the the Capellan uh, kitty here is like has plasma shock stuff going on around it actively, so that actually suggests that there might be a big deal of current going through this kit uh, this crater. So really, Kirk should be dead at this point. But you probably
1: know. you don't know what these uniforms are made of. People keep <laughs> taking like energy blasts to the chest and like sometimes being fine. So maybe they wove some actual like power distributing armor into these outfits that would be a good idea probably yeah
0: be well, a fantastic idea
1: so now that he has saved kukul kirk can plead his case that despite being dangerous savage super dangerous super dangerous 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 animals no one's disputing that humans are the most dangerous race in the entire galaxy and we know this and it's an undisputed fact we have minds and can control our super dangerous impulses so it's fine
0: Oh, this is kind of a thing we've uh, had crop up before in uh, Star Trek. Where Kirk's like, you know, we might be, you know, horrible critters that are going to be like, you know, have that, are, that have compulsions to murder everyone. But you know what? We've decided not to do that today. So, yep. hooray.
1: This is another one of those like, oh my God, you are the most brutal race in the galaxy. It's, we know.
0: Yeah. What of it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> but... Because humans are a sentient life and intelligent life should be allowed to flourish, we should be able to succeed or fail on our own as intelligent independent life forms instead of being controlled by an exterior force. Cook, uh, Khan still wants to teach, but Kirk goes, we don't need you anymore. You came to us when we were young and stupid, but now we have spaceships, which proves we're cool.
0: Yeah, wait, wait Kirk, um, you know, if you like, accept his offer... Like, but on, like, some reasonable terms, like, don't just murder us randomly sort of terms here. Maybe you can get some cool stuff out of the deal.
1: Nope, we can't even consider working <laughs> with you. It was fine when you taught the ancient Mayans how to build giant signaling device doodahs, but how dare you try to give us your technology now, Mr. Snake God?
0: <laughs> is, is it because you, you want me to work... you? you I want you to worship me. Is that it, guys? Come on. Be a bro. <laughs>
1: so coco Khan agrees to let them all go. Back on the ship, they find so many snake gods things that were probably Koko Like dragons, Quetzalcoatl, various snake dudes. Yep. The What's-his-face, the the snake that guards the Idrisil, you know, world eater.
0: You got yourself, like, a you know, mid-guard serpent or something like that?
1: Yeah, that dude. <laughs> They don't mention him, but, you know, I'm thinking through snake gods.
0: There's, there's a bunch of them. I like the Epep Or the, the Rutra. Um, And there we go. <laughs> I can pronounce that
1: one. <laughs> <laughs> McCoy asks if the Vulcans have any legends about ancient alien visitors like this, but in fact the Vulcans know they were visited by ancient aliens beings because they left much smarter than they arrived. <laughs>
0: Well, uh, good on you, uh, Spock, and the Vulcans there. Just being all fancy again.
1: It's my favorite Vulcan line in the thing. It's like, oh, yes, we did have ancient aliens. They learned a lot.
0: <laughs> now, there's also maybe some comparison for what, you know, Vulcans consider ancient at this point in time. Because, like, a thousand years before this point in time in the Star Trek um, you know, universe there, Vulcan already had nuclear weapons and it already had their basically their third world war effectively. And so, so if that's considered ancient, then maybe the aliens shop showed up after that and we're like, so, uh, we're here to be all like powerful gods here. And the Vulcan's like, Oh, well, you guys have no idea. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like we've already discovered logic go away.
0: Yeah. So, um, We're going to teach you some stuff and then you're going to go on your merry way. It's going to be fine.
1: So Kirk laments about being thankless children, gives us the titular Shakespeare quote, and then they leave. The end. The end. Also, this just whole exchange with the Vulcan alien thing makes me now wonder about the whole Klingon story of um, how they killed their gods because they were an inconvenience.
0: (laughs) They're more trouble than they are worth.
1: (laughs) So like if all the gods are ancient aliens, that suggests some things about Klingon.
0: Well, uh the also in uh the Klingon uh backstory, they were apparently like conquered or, you know, enslaved or something like that by some uh crazy alien race that like spanned massive parts of the galaxy at one point. Uh so maybe there's some crossover there between their gods and these guys. I forget the name of them, but
1: maybe Or the slaver dudes.
0: <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so, so in other words, uh depending on what area of the galaxy or what planet or Uh, I guess what shape of your ears you were on uh, going on here, the the ancient aliens that popped up to everywhere had different reactions to you or you did different reactions to them. I guess that kind of goes into a little bit of a psychology of alien beings, how they would treat a being that would show up and say, I'm your God. And well, we don't think like that. So we're going to not treat you like a God, but going to treat you like some some uh person is showing up for a, a verbal debate or alternatively going to stab you so hooray
1: ah the aliens are supposed to be nice right so
0: yeah
1: <laughs> so we've talked about we've definitely talked about ancient alien stuff before it's been around for a bit didn't get really popular until sort of chariots of fire came out a while back
0: mm-hmm.
1: basically kind of um it's it's basically just a, a way to explain why non-white civilizations made any kind of technological progress.
0: Which is, um, you know, maybe they just were able to also make technological process, progress like white people. But we can't have that because um, look over there.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we've gone over some of this before. It was originally kind of, it came about in sort of the 1950s. As an idea, but really didn't gain a lot of support until sort of the 1980s, and then it just sort of took off from there. But uh the basic idea behind all ancient alien, ancient astronaut things is uh ex- is essentially a incredibly literalistic reading of mythology, but just replacing any godlike entity or hero figure with an alien. Mm-hmm. So, like, ancient alien theories uh, believe in a literal interpretation of things like the Bible, but with aliens instead of gods and, and angels.
0: So, it is, I guess, to a certain extent, a very limiting sort of way to interpret things. Because if it, it already precludes, you know, it excludes a whole bunch of other interpretations by saying, okay, this is a thing that actually for sure happened exactly as being described how do I make that make sense given the other things I assume about the world? As opposed to say, this is maybe metaphorical, or someone told somebody else who told this story, which then was exaggerated, then finally someone wrote it down. Or any other sort of alternative explanations for why, you know, things were sort of laid out in the mythology as they were.
1: Yeah, it's a very weird that it has such a scientific veneer since it, the literal interpretation of mythologies precludes a lot of what we actually have learned about history and paleontology yes uh, they they even in a lot of uh, various writings they will take even a literal interpretation of something like the legend of king arthur who was definitely not a historical figure in any regard
0: yes <laughs> king arthur is sort of one of those uh characters that It's like, okay, maybe there was at some point some guy named Arthur, but that's sort of it as far as maybe attachment to reality and everything else that's being attributed to him has been fairly much manufactured or borrowed from other sources.
1: Now, the very interesting thing when you get to uh, Mesoamerican cultures, not only are they definitely a target for this kind of ancient aliens thing because they built pyramids and who could ever think of stacking things in progressively smaller stacks the way architecture yes. functions <laughs> or, you know, just what happens when you pile dirt on top of dirt.
0: Yes. <laughs> you know, you know, we could make ourselves a little mountain here, but no, that's impossible. Why would anyone ever do that?
1: <laughs> you made a mountain out of molehills. <laughs>
0: You know, also, uh, you know, some of the cultures of Mesoamerica are also prone to We need to expand, uh, our temple complex here, but can't really expand out because we're now surrounded by cities suddenly. We'll just keep building up too. So yeah. there's
1: also that. They also <laughs> built these things on top of literal lakes. Like we, we do not like, I, I want to be clear. Like I'm going to talk about the ancient alien theory stuff, but like the architecture of Mesoamerica was incredible. We don't yes. know how to do some of this stuff now.
0: Yes, <laughs> but they were there. They figured it out and they're like, yeah, we're going to be, you know, turning this you know, bit of territory into a kind of swinging city here. And sure, it used to be lakefront property all over there, but well, now it's, you now it's urban development. Hmm.
1: So a particularly interesting twist that you get in Mesoamerican cultures, uh, it's akin to a sort of ancient aliens myth, but it's basically an ancient Europeans myth. Uh, especially with Quetzalcoatl in particular, uh, because of the serpent imagery. And in in this episode, they they referenced that Quetzalcoatl was probably another version of Kukulkan. I've I've been having trouble tracking down the exact etymology of the various gods and which ones went to which culture, because Mesoamerica is a bit of a mess.
0: Yes, uh, well, I I guess the, the general rule of thumb is to remember, you know, Olmecs were super early, mayans were sort of like you know you know middle uh era and then aztecs were a bit later though the maya were still technically around but just not as well organized yeah
1: and the only like actual history we have the only real written history we have from uh central and south american cultures at all was written uh, several hundred years after the fact by a uh, mixed race uh, priest historian and half of the book was lost in a shipwreck so,
0: yes. <laughs> so uh there's some information missing and you know, it might not be from the most reliable of sources uh, you know, cuz you know, a whole let's learn about this culture so it can help them become Christians faster is sort of, you know, part of the motivation. Yeah.
1: So there's sort of a an a, a uh, parallel myth to the ancient aliens thing that uh ancient Vikings who we know traveled to North America at various points. Um, made it to central and south america were met by the ancient mesoamerican cultures interpreted as gods and then later when the spanish showed up they were in also interpreted as gods because of this continued myth uh that is completely apocryphal <laughs> um they the spanish were never welcomed as gods they were welcomed as like visiting dignitaries who then later betrayed the king in a pretty cowardly move.
0: The, 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 you know, the, the Spanish were probably like, yeah, we are pretty badass. They're clearly seeing us as gods, even though we have no evidence. For-
1: also, just to throw this out there, because I saw this in a bad book a while back, that uh, this there's this whole thing that the Spanish were able to take over because they had superior technology. Um, that's not entirely accurate. The Spanish conquered... The Kingdom, because the uh, King of the time made a particular tactical error,
0: yeah I'll we'll just uh invite these guys in, yeah yeah
1: he in, well, he invited the in, and then, as a display of force, he had his army march into the celebrations unarmed and with instruments
0: uh, we got ourselves a whole bunch of people here going to play you some uh, some uh some musical tunes here, yeah, um please don't kill them while they're and doing at that, that
1: point they the Spanish then very cowardly attack everyone and kidnap the king and force him to convert to Christianity and then later kill him anyway. So yeah,
0: pretty bad. I I hope that's the end of horrible uh, atrocities happening in Mesoamerica. Um, It's, it's not actually.
1: that would be nice. (laughs) So again, it's, it's an interesting one. It's, it's, it's a strange one to look at this particular episode because it was written by someone of native american descent who uh is more familiar with the cultures that he's talking about it's still echoing some racist ideas that had been perpetuated to explain away uh the cultural and technological advancements made by non-white civilizations
0: um though i will point out that in star trek at least there's also similar things that they're doing with white people as well because you know the whole, uh, uh, you know, uh, who mourns for a is sort of, oh, the Greek gods are real.
1: Yeah, it wasn't quite as codified by this point because, as I, like I said, it didn't reach massive cultural prominence until the 80s.
0: So, so I guess I, I'll give them, you know, you know, uh, marks down for kind of this ridiculous premise here, but uh, increased points slightly for it for in general Star Trek during this era. Being slightly less racist about it than they could have been. Yeah,
1: and Russell Bates specifically said that his original idea for this episode was Mesoamerican who mourns for Adonis.
0: Oh, that really works. <laughs> now, I will also point out that um, uh, Walking Bear uh, says explicitly that uh, he's Comanche, uh, which is actually a culture that was a bit further north than uh, you know uh, than sort of the Mayans and things like that there. But um, he does point out that he's, you know, a, you know someone who's studied uh, uh, cultures throughout the Americas. And that's why he's, you know, familiar with Cuckoo Yeah, Con he does here.
1: say that he's studied a lot of ancient American cultures. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Comanches were a lot farther north. As far as we know, um, Aztec and Mayan cultural influence did spread into America through trade networks. Uh, the farthest north that we definitely have evidence of Uh, cultural exports is in southern arizona where there is a mayan uh, uh, arena like a ball pit oh cool that was probably a trading hub of the time to bring goods up from mexico Uh, i believe that they found those trade networks expanding pretty far north i don't know the exact boundaries Uh, but the the ancient american trade routes went all over like it's it's a Pretty sophisticated trade network when you actually look at it.
0: It's it's sort of one of those things that uh, folks you know, especially in the Western world, uh, think about. You know, you know, uh, pre-European uh, uh, civilizations in the Americas. That you know, it, the, the the sort of th- vision that we sort of taught at, you know early age in our uh, education system is all right. We got like longhouses and maybe some cool stuff about. Uh, you know, uh, you know, you know, confederacies or something like that. As far as you know, you know, tribes coming together, things like that. But there was a lot more than just sort of these local, uh, you know, uh, political units here. There was civilizations budding up next to other civilizations, and you got you know, you know, people interacting across lines. There, in fact, uh, you know, you you talk about the specific cultural exports from Mesoamerica, but the there's also language crossover that uh, Comanche is actually part of the same, uh, you, know, the, you know, the native language there um, is part of the same uh, language family group as the Aztecs. And so there's, there is definitely a division between the Aztec languages and the Mayan languages. But as far as, you know, sort of, you know, you know sort of one bit of culture, you know, overlapping a lot with, you know, uh, you know one with the Mayans, and the Aztecs, and then now the Aztecs all the way up to Comanche. So it's sort of a continuum of uh you know different sort of traditions ideas languages and everything like that as well as the you know uh, the movement of people between these groups in order to sort of help facilitate that and trade was essential part of that
1: and then we didn't mention this before the the details that i really love in this episode which i don't think have been done before i remember um a few episodes back i was complaining about this aspect of ancient aliens theory that Mm -hmm. uh the aliens always teach humans how to build with stone. Um, but in this episode, the spaceship is made of ceramics. Yes. <laughs> it's
0: like, we're actually going to put our money with our, where our mouth is here, and uh, we're going to ceramic it up here.
1: And, of course, Mesoamerican cultures are masters at ceramic crafts. Like, mm-hmm. the stuff that they made is amazing. I went to a museum exhibit a couple of years ago and got to see some stuff that looked like it could have been made yesterday. It was nice. amazing. It had overhanging detail bits and like these very complicated patterns that I have no idea how they got to stick in that kind of way. I have no clue how they would have created this thing, and it was made several thousand years ago.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of a, yeah, amazing that there's this, there's just this potent craftsmanship there that, you know, in our very, you know, uh, modern, you know, American, uh, you know, white people sort of view of things, we kind of don't realize is there generally. And that's kind of a shame. A lot
1: of it was destroyed intentionally, both to get just destroy native cultures during the uh, Spanish occupation there uh, and the spread of Christianity. Also, they were incredibly advanced goldsmiths. And a lot of that was taken and melted down for gold exports. And, in fact, that is where a lot of the myths of uh, South America being an incredibly gold-rich area come from, uh, because the Spanish came and saw how blatantly everyone was using gold and assumed they must have a great deal of it to be able to display it so prominently. But really, they just valued it as an easy-to-work, pretty metal and didn't have a monetary value system on it so it was simply used as an ornamental jewelry instead of a sign of power and wealth yeah
0: and europeans were like we're gonna have piles of gold and silver sort of in faults while the uh, mayans are like we're just gonna be like decorating stuff with it that's cool right Mm -hmm.
1: also this thing that i heard that's just this is just random has nothing to do with anything but i just loved it when when the spanish were searching for gold throughout south america they found massive deposits of platinum that they <laughs> then dumped into the ocean because platinum is too similar to gold density wise and could be used to forge gold.
0: <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh, do you happen to know where they, where they, they dumped those <laughs> platinum deposits? So I might want to go, uh, um, uh, pay that area visit for unrelated reasons. Um, <clears throat> So they found
1: they found more platinum than gold, but threw it out because it was worthless at the time.
0: <laughs> yes. How <laughs> uh, things change, you know. <laughs> so, uh, so here's something that folks maybe aren't super aware of, but there are folks of my descent that are still alive that, to you know, varying degrees, are still very much steeped in the, uh, the traditional cultures there. Even if they've been, you know, modified and you know uh, pushed, uh, you know, uh, to to change over time via, you know, the whole European settlement stuff, because uh, you know, when uh, you know the you know, Spanish and other folks uh, came into uh, Mexico and Central America, they, most of their focus was on the major cities uh, as far as you know, ex, you know, uh, Christianization. Uh, exploitation, running off all their gold, et cetera, et cetera. But there's still plenty of small villages outside the major, uh, you know, cities and hubs there, where basically they didn't realize they've been conquered for quite some time. Eventually, people would show up and it's like, ah, you should like become Christians. They're like, um, uh, tell us about it, I guess. <laughs> and uh, and so you know, there's, you know, so there's still bits and pieces of the the old cultures that have been able to be allowed to continue to exist uh for centuries past the uh, spanish conquest now there you know how you know you know similar it is now to what it was 1000 you know, 2000 years ago is very questionable of course but it is still kind of neat that there's still some carryover there that you know these cultures haven't been totally wiped out even if you know large sections of them have been destroyed
1: yeah i've seen a lot of people mention this for like basically all uh american uh ancient american tribes um across both continents that it's always talked about in the past tense we always talk about ancient native cultures and ancient mayan culture ancient indian cultures um but these cultures still exist people are still living they're still exp- like making modern music and art and other things we just Try to ignore them and pretend they don't exist because there's that whole colonialism thing that we try to forget about.
0: So uh, I guess this is maybe something, uh, you know, when we you know, maybe have more time uh, to uh, you know, go into more details there, to uh, maybe explore the opportunities show up. It's like we're going to be touching upon this culture here. All right, so uh, maybe let's do a, you know, maybe we could, uh, you, know, you and me, Gepwin, can maybe do a deep dive with something at some point.
1: Yeah, we should. I mean, I know there's at least one unfortunate native episode coming up. When we get to uh, next gen, yep, lots of them. When if we ever get to Voyager, yes, <laughs> that's something that I always thought was weird, especially in the more modern context. Like I get they were doing a lot of this in the fifties and sixties, a lot. Like it was an interesting thing of like, what if the gods were aliens? Ooh, it's all it's all subversive and things because the gods were gods. Uh, but by the time you got to the eighties and nineties, they should have known better. A little bit. This is the only way. Anyone who writes Star Trek knows how to deal with native cultures, flat out. Like even it's... even when you get to Voyager and they try to put some representation in there with Chakotay, who is every native culture <laughs> somehow.
0: <laughs> His native culture is miscellaneous. <laughs>
1: they they still are doing ancient alien stuff. Like they still have the the Native Americans who were transported across the galaxy. Like all all this junk, because they they're still just using this exact idea for the last sixty years for some reason.
0: So, uh, to 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 writers of today and the future, uh, could you maybe get onto a different idea, maybe one a little bit more nuanced, or you know, not focused on the same trope?
1: Yeah, just just once, I want to see them. They can they give. Native peoples as much respect as they gave the damn dinosaurs in Voyager. Yes. If they're in another part of the galaxy, let them have been advanced enough that they figured it out and left themselves.
0: Yeah. (laughs) You know, I would kind of love to uh, have an episode of Star Trek at some point where it's like, oh, uh, yes, uh, we used to be this uh, obscure culture from Earth, but we were transported away. And now, you know... You people back on Earth seem like well now you seem like the children. This is weird. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, just they'll at least once one of these cultures that su- they got super advanced another planet should come back. And you're like, hey, where would everyone go? This is awkward.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, do you want, do you want to have a moment of depression, real quick? Why not? <laughs> All right. So uh, I'm just talking about uh, how Mayan cultures uh, are still a thing, right? Yes. So uh guess who was one of the major groups that was uh well harmed during the Guatemalan civil war.
1: Oh, that's fun.
0: Yeah. So uh for those unfamiliar with what that's all about, uh for several decades like 36 some years uh in the latter half of the you know the 20th century, uh there's bit be- there's a bit of a dust up you could say to put it very 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 lightly. Between the uh, right-wing government of Guatemala and uh, you know, various sort of uh, you know left-wing uh, you know communist uh, rebel groups, and the you know it was very you know, there's definitely a case of you know everyone kind of being jerk faces here, but the the government specifically was very prone to uh, well uh, targeting folks that lived a bit outside the cities that. Maybe people wouldn't complain too much if they disappeared, independent of how actually attached to the uh, gorillas they were uh, you know, involved with there, and that meant that those um, you know uh, you know Mayan uh, villages and things like that tended to get a lot more of the uh, their people murdered for no particular reason. So that sucks. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, that was a horrible thing, and uh, once again, it's also another case of. What was the U.S. doing doing during all this? Oh yes, they were helping the right wing government with the you know, the people that were running the death squads and all that.
1: Oh, well, probably got some bananas or something.
0: Exactly. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, there was a series of um, military dictatorships and coups and things like that along the way, but uh, it was definitely a case of yeah, the U.S. just keeps sending the military hardware that they then go and use to kill tens of thousands of people. Yeah. Yep. 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 Uh, and like, you know, during the Carter administration, Carter's like, maybe we should pull back on this. The CIA kept, kept still funding them, but at least the military, uh, you know, exports were, uh, uh, re- you know, reduced and eventually got cut off. But then a few years later, Reagan came into power and it's like, yeah, we're going to full bore again until, uh, you know, Bush senior is like, wait, hey, you killed an American unacceptable we're gonna we're done here (laughs) like well i guess we know what our priorities are here yeah so that's terrible but um so uh that's another thing that maybe we need to be a bit more uh, educated about in uh, american schooling systems that there's a lot of ancient history and that is important and we've got some version of that generally Uh, generally when it came to Europeans as showing up and causing a ruckus. And then we kind of skip over everything that happened since. Both the good, like some of these cultures still had people that survived uh, that that, uh, pinch point there, to the bad, where there was later times where a lot of them were also wiped out. And some of it within our lifetimes that was going on. So maybe we should be mindful of our actions and what we're doing presently, in order to prevent horrible atrocities from happening again, or stop the ones that are currently happening,
1: or we could make money in South America.
0: Dang it, Zeketwood! <laughs> Money's
1: not everything. <laughs> and as soon as you mentioned Reagan, I knew it was going to turn bad. So,
0: oh, uh, Reagan definitely bad in the eighties. but They're actually way worse in the sixties and seventies. So, because you know they were kind of mostly done with their most most the mass murder by then, I guess. Uh, Maybe I've missed something in my reading, so... But anyway, that's our depressing moment for the episode. Yeah,
1: but once we get super depressing, we usually then skip straight to the tonal disconnect that is the Galaxy's Favorite Game
0: Show! Disconnects! Hey everybody! Welcome to the Galaxy Spirit Game Show, where everyone's been racking up various points here, and we got some prizes to hand out because the uh, you know all well, the episodes coming to an end here. So we better do that before we get everything uh, wrapped up here. So our first prize uh, an award, the ilio thing gamejig, goes to Kukukon. It's called the Substantially Advanced Aliens Prize, which you know Kukukon wins for being at least magically power enough in some ways. And effectively so uh, for uh, ancient Earth people, because, you know, he has a spaceship and stuff. So, what does he win, Gepwin?
1: The giant-winged space snake wins the giant-winged space mouse to possibly eat and play with.
0: That's kind of awesome.
1: Now, where'd you get that, Gepwin? It's uh, one of the tiny giant space hamsters.
0: Oh, hmm. That's from Baldur's Gate, isn't it?
1: I mean, it was originally from d before it was in Baldur's Gate, but...
0: Yes. <laughs> Our second prize is the space boot prize, which goes to Kukukon's ship for effectively stopping Enterprise perfectly in space, so it can't fly anywhere. At least until it figures that they, you know, Spock figures out a way to remove the boot. Uh, so, uh, what does it win, Kaplan?
1: Well, I think that Spock should win the space axle grinder, which he kind of figured out, but you know, you just have these anyway. Also, just note there's plenty of videos online on how you can remove these boots with something as simple as a ballpoint pen, because it's an impressive part of an oppressive system that's unproportionately targeting those who already don't have the means to sustain themselves much less pay extra to be able to drive to work
0: so yeah down with boots for everybody our uh, third pri- and final prize for this week is the prime directive turnabout which goes to basically all the humans in this episode for basically going hey man you shouldn't be interfering with our culture and stuff dude um, when they're talking to Kukugan and all that. So, uh, what do they win, Geppin?
1: They win a seat on the UN Security Council so that they can tell other people to stop interfering with their interfering with people interfering. They're interfering. Block anything that keeps them from interfering.
0: Stop doing everything, everybody. Forever. Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Most hypocritical <laughs> award I can think of.
0: <laughs> so, uh... Uh, Maybe this episode was the, uh, maybe the eventual uh, the inspiration for how the private directors eventually uh, sort of interpreted maybe, which would be kind of an interesting uh, legacy here, but I don't know for certain. So uh, take us away, Gapwin.
1: Yes. Thank you for all of those amazing prizes. Thank you to our contestants and thank you all for indulging the weirdness that is the galaxy's favorite game show. <laughs>
0: So, oh, uh, do I get small again? Yeah, are we getting small again?
1: Are we going into a clock? What's happening?
0: <laughs> yes, Counter Clock Incident is the next episode.
1: Yeah, the s- series finale.
0: Yes, the final episode of Star Trek, the animated series. The last bit of animated Star Trek, unless you count CGFX effects until Lower Decks. Yeah,
1: quite a while. Yeah,
0: decades. And uh, it may involve uh, some age regression.
1: Yeah, let's see. Dude who designed medical tools. Uh, retirement. Something. Something. Ship flies into a supernova. That's fun. Hooray! Oh, is this is this the first time that they warp around a star to go back in time? Um, what did they do that before? Did didn't they? Something like that? Yeah, they already did that. They do that a lot, and then they forget. By the maybe they fixed how warp drives work in uh, TNG. <laughs>
0: That was used to be a thing, but we figured out that it was impossible, so we stopped doing it. (laughs) Um, What? (laughs) Yeah, there's. uh, I I remember bits and pieces of this one, uh, but uh, you know, older er, uh, fellow tries to become young again, and there it also affects everybody else at the ship. So, like ten year old Spock at the end needs to be like solving things because everyone else are actual babies. So (laughs) you know,
1: okay, that's fine. That could be fine interesting i guess just because they wanted to reuse the the model they had for young spock already maybe (laughs) we'll see (laughs) all right let's see how lazy the animation gets in the final episode of the animated series next time on watchers of tomorrow
0: next time on watchers of tomorrow star trek babies we make our dreams come true have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbeam, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin, and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Izix, on youtube.com slash Dr. and Twitter at IzixLP. Music is Waveform and Morris Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists.